When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there, and welcome to It's an S Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So, my guest on the podcast today is writer and podcaster Tim Worthington. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, well, a bit bored of being indoors, but, you know, it did give me a chance to rewatch what we're talking about today, so swing some roundabouts, really. Yeah, we're definitely using our time wisely. <laughs> so what is your history with S Club 7, and have you ever seen this TV show before? Well, having listened to all of these so far, I am actually quite concerned to realise that I've probably seen more of it than the actual target audience did, because I was a little bit older than that. There are a couple of very good reasons for that, which is (laughs) when it was on, I was trying to break into kind of entertainment journalism, so it made sense to keep an eye on, you know, what was on TV, what was in the pop charts. Yeah, I I watched things like Big Brother and EastEnders around then, which I wasn't watching them for entertainment, put it that way. And so I came across S Club 7 quite a lot, and... Wasn't that big on their music. I mean, I was more into things like Super Fairy Animals and Air and so on. But I was familiar with them for that reason. My girlfriend at the time was a bit of a disco dolly. And she always had, you know, Top 40 radio on and forever singing Reach for no reason. So got they got through to me that way as well. And, but <laughs> also, this is the one I'm dreading saying. I did fancy Rachel quite a lot, which even as I'm saying it, sounds a little bit u But, I mean, this was 20 years ago. I was in my early 20s. She's in her early 40s now. I think I can get away with saying that, really. Yeah, I think she probably would have been around the same age as you at the time, like 20, 21. But yeah, because they behave in such a kind of childish way in this show, it does seem like they're teenagers rather than people in their 20s. Yeah, can we move on from that now? (laughs) (laughs) So today we're talking about Back to the 50s. This is a special which aired on the 18th of September 1999, so a few months after the initial Miami 7 series came to an end. And weirdly, whereas all of the S Club series aired on CBBC, this one special aired on CITV. 
And I'm not sure why, but do you have any ideas about this? No, that was something I really tried to get to the bottom of. And I just can't find anything to indicate why it was. I can only assume that maybe, possibly, it was what was written as the original pilot and it took that long to come into you know, to get around to making it, that by that time they'd signed a deal for the series with the BBC. That's the only thing I can think of, because there's not... Uh, you might be surprised to hear there is not much documentation out there about the S7 <laughs> TV series. It's not even in the Radio Times book of comedy, which lists, like, one-off things from the early 60s, you know, that have been wiped and nobody wow. ever watched. And there are a few programmes that aren't featured in there. I can't work out why. Things like Flying Lady, London Shouting and so on. And S Club 7 isn't in there, but it's a comedy show. So, But I couldn't find anything out at all about the weird channel jump thing. Because mm. I remember seeing it on ITV and thinking, what's it doing there? Yeah, it's, it is weird. It's a good theory. It's the only... I can't think of anything else, to be honest. You, you can kind of tell that it's on ITV because it looks more expensive than what's come before it, I feel. Absolutely, yes. And it's kind of... I mean, we'll come back to this, but there are elements of it where I think it was made for a wider audience than the CBBC series were. There's a lot more kind of more recognisable references to, you know, older viewers... Maybe, and it wasn't quite a prominent kind of tea time Saturday slot, wasn't it? Where you would have seen TV burp or something like that. Yeah, maybe that was the intention of it. Maybe it was a strategic thing to kind of, oh, well, some people don't watch CBBC. Some people watch ITV instead, so we need to get everything covered. (laughs) There's a documentary called It's an S Club Thing, which is on YouTube, and it was made in 1999. So it's about the band, but it was made really early on. So it's basically about forming the band, shooting Miami 7. And then there's a little bit at the end about shooting back to the 50s. And yeah, they don't go into any detail about the channel or anything. But they say things like, oh, we had the script two days before we went to film it. and Things like that. Yeah. Oh, and you can't tell that at all. Because, I mean, I didn't really notice it at the time, but Across the board in this, the acting is not of a tremendous standard, but I think a lot of the problem is with the script as well, because my biggest takeaway from rewatching this and some of the other episodes now is that they're obviously aiming for things, something along the lines of, say, The Monkeys or Here Come the Double Deckers, but the reason all those shows worked is because it was about a funny gang where each of them had a completely different character I brought a different thing to the plot. Here, they don't really have different characters. A lot of them, you could just swap their lines mm-hmm. around. It is just kind of, you know, one eats a lot of food, one's a bit vain sometimes. They're characteristics. They're not a character. And there's nothing about any of them that really, ironically for this, where they do a lot of driving, drives the plot at all. Yeah, definitely. They're they're very interchangeable. Spice World comes up a lot on this podcast, and that definitely is a case where they have these distinct personas. And then in S Club 7, it's like, yeah, Rachel's a bit vain. Paul likes eating. John is apparently the smart one. But yeah, a lot of the lines could just be switch from person to person and you wouldn't think it was out of character. And that's a shame because this has the potential to be quite an entertaining, you know, not not a kind of comedy classic, but it's there's a decent storyline in there where they, you can't even say they just trade zingers over the top of it because a lot of them aren't. <laughs> so, right, let's start at the beginning. The band are driving from Miami to L.A., 
and we get a few jokes at the top to do with road signs. A really specific sign comes up saying they're like 2,541 miles away from LA and John reads the sign, but they all think he just knows that figure off the top of his head because he's so smart. And then Tina randomly says, how far is it to Wolverhampton, doesn't she? Yes. And then it starts picking on John for his liking for food, doesn't it? So, oh, sorry. Uh, No, it's Paul, isn't it? Yeah, Paul goes, is it lunchtime yet? And then four different signs come up saying lunch you only had breakfast an hour ago and then the fourth sign just says fat Fat boy boy. (laughs) and this is the first of the real references (laughs) i noted in here which is it's kind of a nod to la story the steve martin film which is the sort of thing you would have seen in that time slot on itv a lot around then anyway Obviously, it's, you know, they couldn't afford to have digital signs saying all that. So it's just street signs. But it's the first of several film references in here that are a little more wide appeal than just pacing the Reservoir Dogs music over the top of a scene where they're walking down the street, which seems to happen every week in the series. <laughs> yeah, those are the references I noticed. You might have seen some references in this that I that went over my head. So I'm looking forward to hearing more of those. So Rachel, who's driving, points out that the mileometer is on all nines and then it sort of goes past that point until it's all zeros and everyone's like, oh, what's going to happen? Is something going to happen? And a kind of portal appears in the road, doesn't it, which they drive through, but they don't really seem to notice that anything's happened. No, it's a big weird square, isn't it? And I think the first thing they notice is the radio changes. I think it's Dion and the Belmonts, because there's so many 50s records pop up in this. I can't remember which was in which bit, but doesn't Bradley say some nice early swing beat? It's not at all. That doesn't work as a joke, because it doesn't sound anything like swing beat. Hey, guys, look at the manometer. It's on all the nines. That's a big moment in the life of a car. That's like being a hundred people. Does that mean it gets a telegram from the Queen? Don't be stupid, it's American. It'll get a letter from the President. Well, we'll soon find out. Here goes. Ta-da! What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing's happened. Except we've got some nice early swing beat. And there was me thinking at least the world was going to end. Yeah, and then after the music changes, this other car suddenly appears, like, driving straight towards them for some reason, and they have to swerve out of the way, and the guys in the other car call them losers or something, and Tina goes, we've just been dissed V badly, because for some reason in this episode, they've decided that they're going to say V instead yeah, of very. all Mary, the time. All <laughs> the bloody time, and it hasn't ever happened before. <laughs> The really weird thing there is that Rachel has a line about saying the car swerved by itself. Is there some kind of analogue night rider, like, trying to protect them of its own free will? And that isn't referred to again at any point. Yeah, because I assumed that she had just steered out of the way, but then she says that the car did it by itself, and it sort of responds to them as well, doesn't it? Because... Paul says something like, oh, it's just a tin can on wheels. And then the car honks and yeah. Hannah's like, oh, he didn't mean it. But yeah, as you said, never happens again. <laughs> so they arrive in this town, which looks very sort of quaint because obviously it's now the 50s, but the band don't realise it yet. And there's all these old cars everywhere. Bradley says they look like living rooms on wheels. <laughs> and Joe suggests there must be some sort of 50s rally going on, doesn't Joe? 
Yes, and also, one thing that struck me is throughout the episode, nobody remarks on the fact that pretty much all of them are wearing, by the standards of the time, next to nothing. Nobody says anything about that. All seven of them, pretty much. (laughs) uh, You know, very underdressed for the 50s. Hannah could probably be arrested for indecency, actually. And that that just isn't touched on at all. It's really weird. Normally, when people travel in time and things, they can't wait to get them into, you know, exaggerated period clothing with jokes about, how does this tie look, daddy-o? And they don't do that at all. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, actually. It's weird that they never at any point dress up in sort of 50s clothing. Because in Miami 7, there was a 70s episode where they went back in time and when they woke up, they were wearing 70s clothes. But yeah, it never happens here. But yeah, I did think about that, how when the uh, the sheriff kind of approaches them later on, I was thought, oh, is he going to arrest them for, like, wearing crop tops or something? It's pretty obscene by the 50s standards. They do reference the 70s episode as well, don't they? In one line of dialogue. Yeah, Rachel says something like, um, oh, at least the clothes are better here than in the 70s. It's like, well, you're not wearing them, though, are you? (laughs) (laughs) So they go into this diner and... Yeah, again, they haven't realised what's happened yet. And Tina goes, oh, what is it with this town? They seem to be going for the 50s thing big time. And they're all amazed that a burger, fries and a drink costs 20 cents. So the waiter comes over to take their order and he says, how are you? And Hannah just goes, I'm single out of nowhere. And then there's things like Rachel asks for still water, doesn't she? And the others ask for lattes. And there's a bit of confusion over asking for a veggie burger, which is, what do you think about it? That's a real dated term now because, you know, vegetarian and vegan options have moved on so much, even since 1999, that that just felt weird and dated in itself, almost as much as the 50s did. And then there's a bit about the greasers that they saw just a couple of minutes ago had stolen a sign from the diner. And it's treated as though it's a massive plot point. And watching it, I thought, it's hardly Rocket with the artificial eye in Avengers Infinity War, is it? You know, it's, nobody was planning that far ahead. you know. And they don't mention it ever again as well. So, Yeah, and to be honest, earlier when they drove past in the car, I didn't even notice that they had something in the car with them, like a massive plastic burger. I'm not sure if that's just because of the quality of the video or something. But it didn't stand out to me that they had a big plastic burger in their car. But I looked up this guy who plays the waiter, um, and he's now seems to be an estate agent in LA. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't expect that. I mean, I had a quick look at the cast list, and I didn't find that much interesting about most of them. But I did notice it was written by five people, and that took me back a bit because it didn't seem like the work of five people. Yeah, it's all of the writers from Miami 7 who wrote episodes individually, just all bundled together. I don't think there's anyone new in there. It's all like basically the team from Miami 7, but for some reason they're all credited on this one thing. And I think they are on the the next special as well. So I'm not sure how it actually worked, whether someone wrote it and then the others just kind of chipped in or I don't know how it worked, to be honest, because it's a lot of people for this one thing. Well, one thing that struck me was, obviously, Kim Fuller played a large part in writing the S Club 7 series and specials, and I can't remember, did he write Seeing Double, the film or not? But 
it just made me think while I was re- while I was watching it that I mean obviously he was quite a big name in credits in the 80s wrote a lot for Lenny Henry and so on but there was also I'm convinced he was the writer of there was briefly a Marvel UK Bros comic which had kind of the comedy detective adventures of Matt Luke and Craig in it where there's running gag in it that Luke was always wanting to eat <laughs> hamburgers which isn't a million miles from a certain S Club 7 running <laughs> gag so that just struck me while I was watching it I wonder if there's any correlation there yeah, maybe Kim Fuller just finds it inherently funny that someone is always hungry. Comedy <laughs> gold. <laughs> so yeah, like you said, they try to order a load of things that don't exist in the 50s, like all these different kinds of coffee and a veggie burger, and the waiter's kind of baffled. And then John is the one who actually goes, you know what, I don't think this place looks like the 50s. I think it is the 50s. <laughs> and at first they're like, nah, don't be stupid. But then they kind of start listing all the clues and realise that he's right. Because I mean, this has happened to them before, so it's not completely out of the blue. And they find out that it's actually 1959, because there is a sort of graduation banner in the street. And they seem quite nonplussed about the fact that it's the 50s because the next thing we know, they're outside the diner and they're just kind of sitting around doing nothing. Like, they're not taking advantage of the situation, are they? Not at all. They don't go around trying to see the sights or hear the sounds. They just sort of sit there. They're not even that concerned about getting back to their correct time, which is a little bit weird. And there's a really odd gag during all that when I think think it's Paul says, I'm not used to being stuck in a time warp. And the reply comes, I wouldn't say that, you still like Millie Vanilli. <laughs> now, that's a weird reference to drop in in 1999. The whole <laughs> yeah. Millie Vanilli thing was sort of done and dusted by the end of 1990. And even, I remember even, there was a joke about them in The Simpsons in about 1993, where the whole point of the joke was it was an outdated reference. And even then, it kind of felt outdated in itself as an outdated reference, a sort of meta way. So I'm not sure who they thought was going to be rolling on the floor laughing at that. All the little kids watching, like, what is Millie Vanilli? It's bizarre. And they're just kind of, they're kind of teasing Hannah, aren't they? Going like, um, oh, Hannah fancies Chuck, Hannah fancies Chuck, and just sort of messing around. And there's a really weird exchange where Joe says... If it's 1959 now, then my mum's going to be born next week. And then Hannah randomly goes, oh, maybe you should buy her a little fluffy bunny or something. Like, really nasty for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that change in Hannah's character at all. Though the thing that really did strike me about that was obviously Hannah's spirit was later... I would say almost better known at one point for another ITV Saturday Tea Time programme where she jumped in and out of windows in time, you know, which is primeval. So it just felt really odd watching that as well, <laughs> which is basically the same thing as Abby did in primeval. And yeah, that, it's kind of odd because when I was watching that, I never really thought that's Hannah from S Club 7 while I was watching it, which maybe indicates she could act a bit better than some of the others, but... Watching this again, I did just think this is kind of a weird, weird prequel series <laughs> to Primeval. Yeah, it's preparing her for that, clearly. I haven't seen that much Primeval. Maybe that's a spin-off podcast in the making. <laughs> but because it, it carries on this weird exchange as well, because she sort of says other oh, thing about the fluffy bunny. And then about a minute later, she randomly says, 
or maybe a panda. And I was really confused, like, what are you referring to? But she's clearly, she's carrying on the thing from before, but about a minute later. And she says to Joe, oh, but mind you, you'd have to check the panda's eyes were sewn on properly, otherwise your mum might choke on them. What's <laughs> like, a calm problem down, with Hannah. Joe's mother? Is it exploding? I don't know, something I haven't re-watched, like S Cup 7 <laughs> Go Wild or something. I don't, I, I don't know where that's come from. <laughs> Just casually make it your mum jokes, <laughs> like, oh, we're going to kill Joe. Remember when there was that debate about, there was something about, would you go back in time and kill baby Hitler? Hannah wants to go back in time and kill <laughs> Joe's mum as a baby. I'm not sure I like being in the 50s, it's so passe. I know. I wouldn't want to get stuck here, my mobile phone doesn't work, my credit cards are useless. You must be in a living hell. You know, I've just realised... If this is 1959, well, then my mum's going to be born next week. Oh, maybe you should buy a little fluffy bunny or something. I mean, what's the point of having a mum who's 19 years younger than you are? You're right. And how's she going to get your tea ready for you when you get home? Or maybe a panda. My dad would be a toddler by now. <laughs> like that. That is so weird. Mind you, you'd have to make sure the panda's eyes were sewn on properly. Otherwise, your mum might choke on them. Hannah, shut up. So because John is the smart one, he says they need to find a wormhole in the space-time continuum so they can get back. Again, not not sure where he's plucked this from, but he's decided this is what they need to do. And Rachel's like, oh, can't we just get a taxi? And they all start sort of jumping around in the road, don't they? Trying to find this invisible portal. Yeah, and then kind of give up and go bowling? That's... <laughs> They're not really that devoted to getting back to the present, are they? <laughs> yeah, it's very out of nowhere because they have a, an encounter with the, the sheriff first, don't they? Because he's kind of like, oh, well, he thinks they're acting suspiciously, which they are. They're just jumping around <laughs> in the road like he probably thinks they're on drugs or something. And I found it quite funny when he walks over to them and Tina just goes, hello, constable. <laughs> like, it's the most English thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and John then calls him your majesty as well. Yeah, and he's not that convincing. Yeah, I looked this guy up and he was in quite a lot of stuff in, like, the 90s and 2000s. He seems to be one of those guys who's been in, like, one episode of every American <laughs> TV show. I noticed he also played a sheriff in an episode of Weeds, so sheriff is clearly, like, typecasting for him or something. But, yeah, he hasn't done much in the last 10 years or so, so not sure what that's about. But out of all the guest actors in this, he had the longest imdb page by far that's not surprising because i'm sure we'll come back to some of the others and what they were like <laughs> <laughs> but he asks to see some id and rachel gives him her passport and obviously he's confused because it says she was born in 1978 and one of them says oh it's the time difference england's quite far ahead i quite like that as a gag yeah, and I would say that's prefiguring the kind of wave-away explanations you got in Russell T. Davis' Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> and it isn't beyond the bounds of possibility to think he was keeping his eye on things like this and Spice World and so on, as in kind of, you know, how do I style something for Saturday night these days? It's possible. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Yeah, so they all go bowling for some reason. (laughs) And we get a song here, which is You're My Number One. Not much to really say about this. They're just kind of bowling and putting their bowling shoes on and that sort of thing. And Bradley's chatting up some girls, isn't he? Yeah, and the two things I noted down about it were Joe gets frustrated and throws her ball overarm, which I'm not going to draw <laughs> analogies with, you know, later kind of attitude and behaviour, but you can if you like. But the other thing is, Rachel complains very bitterly about having to wear bowling shoes. Now, I remember bowling shoes briefly being massively in fashion around then. I remember people paying lots of money for genuine Lambretta ones. So they clearly weren't, you know, keeping their eye on on what people were actually wearing at that point. I mean, yeah, it came and went pretty quickly, but that struck me as well, because I remember being, it being that exact time that I think it was because there was a brief rediscovery of things like Northern Soul and people got into that, you know, that energetic dancing and spinning round and so on, and they did start wearing bowling shoes socially, and then obviously it went away again. But that just felt really jarring and... Yeah, and it's the only thing from the 1950s that they actually wear in the episode. It's just a, some bowling shoes and a jacket in a few minutes. The gang sort of marches in, the same gang from before who nearly crashed into them and apparently stole something from the diner that is unclear. Um, and the leader of the gang starts having a go at Bradley because he's sort of chatting up a girl who he says sort of belongs to him. And... uh Joe stands up for her like a feminist and is like, she doesn't belong to anyone. She's her own person. But the guy turns to Paul and is like, is this your chick? And this is this language now where he's kind of like, your chick's getting salty with me. Yeah, and the gang themselves, they're just so, they're like you asked your nan for Biff's gang from Back to the Future for Christmas. And she went to the covered market and got, you know, a cheap unbranded copy of them. They just don't. <laughs> come across as a threatening gang at all (laughs) and the other thing that really annoyed me about them was there is a great one of the few great absolutely great gags in it is when somebody asks what do you do and they say we do this and mime combing we drive around we chew gum then we comb our hair some more and joe says the long winter evenings must just fly by that's from Black Adder. <laughs> that is blatantly just taking a bit, not just somebody else's script, but of a well-known comedy classic, and just passing it off as your own. I was, I just couldn't believe that when I saw that. Yeah, I've got that written down as well. Black Adder. Joe, <laughs> Joe's clearly seen it. That must be the excuse. Joe's a fan. She's quoting it. But yeah, the the sort of sidekick in particular in this gang is so over the top, like. I don't know if it's probably intentional. He probably kind of thinks that it's funny to do these really sort of exaggerated movements all the time, but it's mad and it's there's lots of combing hair and lots of like saying daddy-o and chick and cat and things like that, isn't there? Yeah, and also, I mean, this this gets worse in the later scene, but I was quite surprised that they kind of manhandle both Rachel and Joe out of the way in a way that I don't think you would get in especially the program primarily aimed at children now it wasn't wrong in itself but it looked wrong from a modern perspective in a way i couldn't quite put my finger on yeah it's just like roughly grabbing them and shoving them out of the way 
And that really, really stuck out. Yeah, on that um, that documentary, um, It's an S Club thing, there's a bit where they talk about having a premiere for this in Leicester Square, uh, <laughs> like full of kids. And one of them mentioned that at that point where, I think it's later on where he sort of shoves Joe's head to one side one of them in this documentary commented that the kids were all like <gasps> like they were really shocked at that so it was quite shocking at the time as well it sounds like but um yeah it's maybe it's to make the gang seem a little bit more threatening yeah it doesn't quite work and then of course they get slapped in jail well four of them do yeah because the sheriff barges in because a fight has broken out and he arrests bradley because because of racial profiling no it's it's because he um the gang leader is his nephew so he's not going to arrest him he's going to arrest bradley instead and say that he's the instigator and because the others are objecting he uh, like arrests the rest of them and oh god this this made me laugh now i'm not sure if it's for the right reasons or not but this made me laugh where john is like we all need to shut up or they're going to keep arresting us and hannah goes yeah, let them rot. Hanging's too good for him. <laughs> She's really got a nasty streak in this special, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, it's odd. And John's like, calm down, Hannah. <laughs> so even he is like, that's a bit far. Somebody do something! Hey! Oh, thank goodness, just in time. Now, what are you people doing threatening these nice, innocent people? What? what? It's okay, Ricky. I'll take it from here. Well, thank you, Uncle Barney. You're under arrest. Me? Yep. What? what? You can't do that. Well, I just did, and now you're under arrest as well. You can't do that. And now you're under arrest as well. But you can't do that. And now you're under arrest as well. You can't do Wait. that. Wait. I see a pattern emerging. No one say you can't do that, otherwise you'll get arrested. Oh, right. Good point. Fine by us. Take him away, Sheriff. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah. Lock him up and throw it with the key. Let him rot. Hang is too good for him. All right, Hannah, you don't have to take it that far. And the rest of them get thrown in jail. It's uh, Rachel, Joe, Paul and Bradley. They get put in a cell. Uh, and the other three just go back to bowling, don't they? They're like, another game? <laughs> they do start protesting outside the next day, though, with banners that I think I could read two of them. There was three, the S Club 4, and S Club 4 were innocent. Couldn't make out the third one. Yeah, neither could I, but... Um, uh, in a previous episode of this podcast, Alice, Alison Spittle pointed out that the S Club 7 does sound like a group of people who've been wrongly convicted of something, like the Central Park Five or something like that. And it has actually come into play here. It's free the S Club 4. But yeah, the four of them are in prison. And I'm not sure where Rachel thinks she is because she asks for a small Caesar salad. And then she's like, where's the satellite TV? And Bradley's trying to sort of dig his way out with a little spoon <laughs> in the concrete floor. Yeah, they say it'll take 48 years, which is... <laughs> <laughs> and the others are just kind of waiting outside in the car, aren't they? And, and Tina says, I miss them already. And Hannah goes, I miss Chuck from the diner. <laughs> <laughs> Again, being very harsh. And there's kind of a shot of Joe looking out through the bars with like a single tear rolling down her face. She could have used that kind of approach a bit later on, maybe, but let's not become too controversial here. <laughs> I wonder how they achieved that effect. <laughs> like, just put a, an eye drop there or something, because <laughs> she's clearly not actually crying on cue. 
But the sheriff releases them the next morning. It's not clear whether he's done that because of them protesting outside or if that was just the plan anyway. But he basically says to them, you have to leave town by sundown, whenever that is, because you're your troublemakers. And they, they don't leave immediately. They go back to the diner. Again, they don't seem that bothered about getting back to the present. They're just sort of ambling around, aren't they? Like, oh, let's go back to the diner and see Chuck. Yeah, and they find out that the gang have, for some reason, they've broken the jukebox. I couldn't figure out why, apart from maybe they were all trying to be the Fonz and, you know, trying to make it play by hitting it. But for that reason, the the hop has been cancelled and there's a discussion about what to do about the gang with the comment, I failed my GCSE in beating up. <laughs> yeah classic because joe's up for sort of confronting the gang isn't she and the others aren't so keen <laughs> uh, but they're they're kind of they are actually going to leave at this point it seems but then chuck offers them some free fries and because paul is hilariously hungry all the time we then cut to just paul stuffing his face with fries in the diner because he couldn't turn it down yeah massive pile of fries as well i mean i hope they didn't go to waste after that scene was wrapped. I'd hate to think of all, all of those, well, chips, let's be honest about it, being thrown away. <laughs> but the, the, to be honest, S Club 7 don't look like they eat many chips. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Maybe there were a few takes where like Paul had to just keep eating the chips. But this is the point where Chuck's dad, who owns the diner, starts kind of telling them how this feud with the gang started. And it's this kind of convoluted story about, well, the guy who is the leader of the gang is apparently called Ricky and he's got a dad called Dickie and all this sort of thing. There was a girl called Nikki involved at some point, but they've basically got a sort of feud with this gang because the two dads fell out a long time ago. Yeah, it was a story I got bored by very quickly. Like you say, it's convoluted and it, the joke appears to be that it involves rhyming names. And it's it's like a, a bad to Ronnie sketch. Like, there's, there's nothing to it. I, I was kind of thinking, I hope this moves on to something else soon. And it probably only lasts about 25 seconds, but it seems to go on forever. Yeah, and at the end of it, John goes, sounds tricky. <laughs> Another little rhyming word getting in there at the end. But the band kind of feel sorry for them, don't they? And decide to perform at the diner since the jukebox is broken. And they put their hands together and this sort of effect happens, which is something that happens sporadically throughout the series. <laughs> it's happened maybe three times before, I think. But maybe this is connected to the, the communication with the car. <laughs> yeah, you'd think if you had superpowers like that, you'd use them a bit more. But the, the weird rabbit hole that I went down because of this sequence where basically they appear in kind of 50s diner gear singing, I think it's Viva La Fiesta and Friday Night. Yeah. And it reminded me of, there was a, completely forgotten now, there's a children's ITV sitcom in the early 90s called Spats, which is set in a modern day American style diner where it was filmed, it was the same kind of gags you got in the S Club 7 TV series. And it, the main thing I remember about it was it was filmed on kind of American standard videotape. So it was trying to fool you into thinking that it wasn't all these lower-rung UK actors pretending to be, you know, serving stuff in this diner, that it was actually American. And you'd be thinking, ooh, exciting. It's like Frasier or one of those. But I <laughs> thought 
Maybe some of the writers worked on that as well, but I found no trace of that or any of the production team so far. But I would not be surprised if there was a direct link there, to be honest with you. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. if It's quite a distinctive uh, style and, uh, yeah, very much like, oh, we put it in America to sort of um, make it seem cooler, but put in loads of cheesy jokes at the same time. But like you said, they perform a bit of Friday Night and they perform a bit of Viva La Fiesta. And these are both songs from their first album that they haven't already performed in the Miami 7 series. Um, And they're dressed up as waiters and waitresses, which is quite cute. Um, And we see the gang at one point outside kind of grimacing because they're not happy about this fun that's going on in the (laughs) diner. And after the performance, the band do decide to leave. They, they've put, cut it very fine with the sheriff's deadline, but Hannah has a little kiss with Chuck and they start driving off and she says, if I ever see Chuck again, he'll be about 60 yeah. years old. And Paul goes, after a week with you, that's how all your boyfriends look. <laughs> she deserves that kind of shade after how she's behaved so far in the episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, she's not happy. And yeah, this the logistics of this is weird because they kind of, it's implied that they drive all night, isn't it? But they somehow arrive back at the same town and it's still the 50s. Yeah, it's like a really, really, well, it's not like Sapphire and Steel at all, but it's like something from an episode of Sapphire and Steel. Like, and it isn't explained how they ended up back there. It's just thrown in there just to keep them in the same place, but... Does the car drive them back? Is it a limitation of time travel? It's nothing about it is made clear. Yeah, because Rachel's the one driving, isn't she? So one of them was definitely awake. So surely has she just not noticed some sort of weird (laughs) situation with the road? It's hard to tell because what has actually happened here? But yeah, they arrive back at the town and they find out that it's actually now a month later and the diner has been completely trashed. Um, And Chuck says that his dad is actually considering just selling the diner to Ricky's dad uh, because it's so much hassle. And this is the point where the band are like, right, we need to confront this gang. Uh, And they go to see Ricky, who's sort of doing up his car before a big race, isn't he? Yeah. And the thing that really struck me there was... I think it's Tina says just because he's the leader of a gang of vicious psychopaths, it doesn't mean he can go around ruining everyone's lives, which is framed as a joke, as like a silly thing to say. But just made me think of the current government, to be honest. (laughs) We won't dwell on that, but, you know, it's not that much of a jokey statement to me. I'll make a a gif of that moment to uh, to tweet about the government. And yeah, this sidekick character's being really annoying again. He's kind of like under the car and going on about like, chill out, daddy-o, and sort of waving his arms and legs around. Um, The band show up and they're all sort of trying to wind up Ricky and calling him a daddy's boy and stuff like that. And for some reason, while they're all talking, Joe fixes his car And it's one of those moments that's kind of like, oh, none of the men could do it. But Joe's stepped in and fixed it. And they're all like, you fix the car? Yeah. And the the weird thing about that is that, you know, that's quite a strong, positive moment to present to the kids watching. But there's a really creepy bit where a date with Joe is promised if he can beat them in a hot rod race. Uh... And why is it? He said something quite... 
struck me as quite unpleasant. What was it he described? There are something like... Oh, I, I get a date with Nickel Navel. And he kind of touches her belly button. Yeah. It's so creepy. And Joe is kind of like, well, no. But Rachel just goes, deal. <laughs> so it's been agreed to. Rachel's just sort of pimped out her friend. Because <laughs> they have this sort of agreement, don't they? They're going to take part in the race against Ricky. Joe says they're going to enter the race. If they win, Ricky has to agree to stop trashing the diner. But if Ricky wins, he gets to keep the band's car and Chuck's dad will sell the diner to him. And yeah, also this weird, creepy date with Joe and he touches her stomach. It's really gross. And and just how are you going to stop me from ragging on Mr. Squaresville? And he's Squaresville's son, huh? How fast is this car? Oh, it's the fastest in the Tri-County area. You want to bet? Yeah, any time, kooky. All right, well, we'll enter our car in the race tomorrow, and if our Chevy beats this spare parts convention that you call an automobile, then you stop hassling the big cup diner, right? Okay. Okay, but if I win... Well, then you get our car. What? And Dad'll sell the big cup diner. You've got my word. Oh, no. That's not enough, Daddy-o. Here's the deal. If I win, I get all of that. Plus... I get a date with Nickel Nave. Now hold on a minute, nobody said it. And after that, they're hanging out at the diner again. Chuck is quite concerned. And he says to Hannah, have you ever had one of those days where you wish you'd never been born? And she's like, I haven't been. Which is one of the really good jokes in it, actually. (laughs) Yeah. And she's weirdly got a mouthful of chips when she says it. (laughs) And the other great bit about that scene is that John's working out the contract with a modern calculator. And again, nobody says anything. Nobody says, what is that weird thing that's taking up half the table? (laughs) Yeah, doesn't Rachel say something earlier, actually, about, um, oh, I I, I can't, I don't have my um, cell phone or my cell phone doesn't work or something. We don't actually ever see them with a cell phone. They weren't that common at the time, were they? Not really, they were starting to become a bit more common, but I can say, I a couple of years before that, I got a, well, we did call them cell phones at that point, uh, while I was at university, and after six months, I thought, there is no point having this, and didn't renew it, and I wouldn't have got a new one for quite a long time after that. So certainly while this was on, I didn't have one, most people I knew didn't have one. That was starting to change but it was still quite a rarity, really. And I suppose it was a bit of an aspirational thing, so it would make sense that Rachel would have one and the others wouldn't. Yeah, it's just weird. We've, we've never seen it before. And, like, spoilers, I've watched the special after this, and a big part of the plot is the fact that Rachel has to keep going to a phone box to phone her boyfriend in England. <laughs> no continuity (laughs) and it's decided isn't it that rachel is the one who's gonna be the driver in the race and i quite like this because in previous episodes rachel has always been very sort of made fun of for being a bit girly and vain so i was quite pleasantly surprised that she was the sort of designated driver in this episode, because I didn't really expect it. Yeah, and that's, again, that's quite a positive thing. You know, even at that context at that time, to do, to have one of the female leads, you know, taking part in the car race as well, which brings me on to the really weird thing about the whole drag race sequence, which is, it's very closely modelled now, as I'll explain, this is no coincidence, on a mid-60s film called Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, 
the shot-for-shot homages in it, which is really weird. For anyone who's not seen that, it's basically a driving movie about three go-go dancers who are challenged to a drag race by a very man's man man who isn't happy when they beat him, starts attacking them. They murder him and drive off through the desert trying to conceal his death. And it isn't a coincidence because the Spice Girls video, Say You'll Be There, was very deliberately modelled on that as well. So somebody involved with the Spice Girls and S Club 7 was a fan of this film. <laughs> and it's a really weird thing to refer to in, you know, a Saturday evening primetime family entertainment show, really. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my favourite films, but this was the last place I expected to see it referenced. <laughs> of course, all kids saw that at the time. <laughs> Yeah, because it's black and white as well. That's the other thing. Clearly a popular film in, I don't know, the Fuller family or something. (laughs) Maybe Kim and Simon Fuller are big fans of it, along with Reservoir Dogs. (laughs) Oh, they definitely like that. Or they like the first 90 seconds of it. That's so bizarre. It's time for the race, and John is finishing off this contract still. And Rachel, again, this is... There's no real explanation for this. Rachel hands him a loads of papers from the glove compartment in the car and there's a newspaper in there for the next day, isn't yeah. there, saying that Chuck is going to be killed in the race. Yeah, there's no explanation, but why would they have that newspaper in there? Either for some reason they had it in the present or somebody <laughs> has somehow put the next day's newspaper in it in the past, neither of which make any sense at all. <laughs> it's like suddenly they just there's just no rules of time anymore like going back to the past wasn't enough we now have this other thing that's somehow just come to them like in the or again it's the car being magic for some reason like it was in the glove compartment of the car for some reason do you get the feeling there were a lot of scenes of explanation about the car's magic powers that were somehow either dropped at the script stage or edited out to fit it into a shorter time slot or because there's so many pointers towards this car (laughs) having abilities beyond the capabilities of an ordinary car that there has to have been something in that that fell by the wayside for some reason. Oh, my God. What is it? Local boy killed in Chevy race horror. Tragic feud yesterday cost the life of Townsville Chuck Martindale, 18. Stay at tomorrow. But it doesn't make sense. Chuck's not even driving our car. Guys, what's Chuck doing driving our car? Chuck, you can't drive in this race. Hannah, this is my fight. It is my dad's dad that's at stake, and it is not fair for Rachel to risk getting hurt fighting... Rachel's not risking... You are. Look. But how? We're... We're we're time lords from the future. And we've been sent here to save you because... Because you go on to do great things. Yeah, because it definitely hasn't come up until now. And it feels like it should be a bigger deal, the fact that their car has these magic powers. And, yeah, also, if anyone decides to watch this episode on youtube there's a point in the race where suddenly the video just kind of it sort of goes back and repeats a few scenes from earlier and it's a mistake made by i guess whoever's uploaded it but when i watched it for the first time and didn't know that it was coming i genuinely for a few minutes thought that that had just happened <laughs> like i was like okay i'll just go with this they've just gone back again well this does sort of support the pilot theory in that it's possible this was written first and originally they had a magic time traveling car 
and then the focus changed and they went back to that script and thought better take that <laughs> out because they don't use it ever again so it's it's possible so yeah they've got this newspaper and they're like oh but why would chuck die he's not driving in the race rachel is and then they notice that chuck is now sitting in their car and he says that he wants to drive in the race because it's sort of his fight and Hannah then shows him the paper, which I think breaks all sort of rules of time travel there, where she just shows it to him and goes, we're time lords from the future and we've come to save you. And he's like, OK. It's really weird that they should say we're time lords because it's very much unconfirmed, but there is a rumour that Hannah Spirit was one of the people screen tested for Doctor Who when Jodie Whittaker was eventually cast. So that that oh, really wow. leapt out at me. Yeah, that was in her show reel. <laughs> but yeah, and he's just like, okay, I, be- I believe you. You've just told me I'm going to die if I drive in this race. So yeah, Rachel's driving again. The race starts. The, the corrupt sheriff is there cheering on Ricky. And the two dads show up at some point because Chuck left a note for his dad in the diner which kind of prompted him to call Ricky's dad. And we don't know what the note says. We just see the dad open it and go, oh, my God. <laughs> and they actually do some. I, mean, I don't think it was Rachel actually driving. but Yeah, I, I assume... Because there's sort of some outtakes at the end, isn't there? And I think you can see they're just sort of, you know, sitting against a green screen or something and Rachel's just, like, staring. <laughs> but... They, it is edited really well. It does look like she is driving at high speed. And there is a great bit where they accidentally drive into a ditch. And as they drive out and Rachel's covered in mud, Joe says, Rachel, this is no time for a face pack. <laughs> yeah, I think overall, I think this is pretty well shot. Or maybe I'm just saying that because it looks a bit more expensive. I don't know, maybe they had better quality cameras or something because they had that ITV money. But like in comparison to Miami 7, this does look more kind of cinematic, you know. And I read that they, they shot it in a place, I can't remember the name of it now, called something like Vasquez Rocks, which apparently is like a place where lots of these types of things are filmed. And they have, you know, the town is like a set, you know, it's not a town that they did up. So, yeah, I think it seems like there was a lot of money put into this, and you can tell. And that, that's the thing. I think it looks brilliant. It sounds brilliant. It's just let down by the script and the performances not quite being good enough. Yeah, definitely. And Ricky's dad shows up and is very annoyed, isn't he? Because he he isn't aware that his son goes out racing. He thinks he's been going to scout meetings every Saturday. And also at one point during the race, Ricky's girlfriend sort of drags Bradley away and sort of starts getting off with him, doesn't she? Yeah, and she wants to leave town with him and then they decide to make out instead. (laughs) Yeah, I think, doesn't he say something like, like, oh, we could just snog? Yeah, which again sounds quite jarring from modern perspective because it's... Not really a word that's used anymore, is it? Yeah, at the time, I remember reading a lot of books where it was very like, snog this, snog that, but I don't think anyone actually said it in real life, as far as I recall. And you also get some really kind of out of place, sort of 60s, early 60s surf instrumental music. Again, quite like the music from Pass the Pussycat Kill Kill, which... Sounds really out of place with the rest of the episode, but it does score the chase quite well, I think. 
Yeah, the, and the chase, it, I feel like it doesn't feel as if it goes on for too long as well. Oh, that's another thing I would say, actually, about this special. It's it's twice the length of a normal episode of the series, but it does kind of feel like it warrants that. Yeah. Like, it doesn't seem to sort of really drag at any particular point, whereas, spo- spoilers again, the next special really does feel like it drags <laughs> over 45 minutes. And let's not even get started on seeing double, which I don't think was even 90 minutes, was it? Oh, I don't think so. To be honest, I'm not sure if I've ever seen all of it. <laughs> it's one of those things where I think by the time it came out, I was potentially a little bit old for it because that came out sort of after the whole series had finished. Yeah. By which time I think I was maybe in high school rather than primary school. So I think potentially I was. I felt like I was a bit old to be going to the cinema to see an S Club film. So when I do ultimately get to that, I'm looking forward to it because it's one of those things I've caught bits of on sort of ITV2 over the years. It's got something to do with cloning, hasn't it? As I recall, I don't remember very much about it, but I know it existed and I I remember noticing it wasn't standard film length. So make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah, so in this race, ultimately, Ricky's car ends up breaking down, Rachel wins, and there's a slightly odd moment where she says to him, here's your consolation prize, and kisses him on the cheek, yeah. which I thought was a bit odd, and sort of contradicting what we were saying earlier about, like, yeah, Rachel's tough, she's the one driving. Yeah, that did seem a bit kind of breaking character given what had been established so far and I couldn't work out why he deserved it either especially when the rest of his gang start apparently saying they're going to have to leave town because they lost a race what yeah they're embarrassed they're so embarrassed they're gonna have to leave town and yeah this weird moment where they're like oh no you don't have to leave town and they're like what do we do instead? And I think it's Joe goes like, let's party. <laughs> yeah, and then it's the actual video for S Club Party, isn't it? Yeah, I was surprised to see that because I kind of, yeah, I forgot that that was literally just the music video. And yeah, in it's an S Club thing again. There's a little tidbit about this where, you know, they're all sort of jumping in the air and doing like an S oh, yeah, sign. Yeah. In the behind the scenes bit, they're all like laughing and making fun of Joe because she can't do it. And there's just loads of shots of her trying to jump in the air and do an S sign. And for some reason, she can't, it's not computing. <laughs> and there's outtakes at the end of this as well, aren't there? But I'm sure we'll come back to them actually at the end. Yeah, yeah. We've heard this song in the series before, but it was quite early on and they were just sort of performing it at the hotel in Miami 7 and now yeah it is the music video and it looks it looks pretty it looks good I think it's quite well shot mm. when everything kind of gets wrapped up um there's a, a bit where the the two dads decide to make up and put the feud to rest and they say maybe we can even team up and start a chain of diners together and Paul suggests the name Little Chef <laughs> I wonder, are they saying this is actually, this is the origin story of Little Chef? Paul instigated this in the 50s. So after the song, uh, they have to leave, finally. Hannah says goodbye to Chuck and everyone sort of waves them off and is like, we'll never forget you, including the gang, who are apparently their friends now, out of nowhere. And they drive through the portal and go back to 1999 
And the episode basically ends with them driving through the town again, doesn't it? But it's now the present. Yeah, and they see an ageing Ricky and the S Club 7 diner, where... I don't understand how that works. It's like something out of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Has he got photos of them up in there? Like, really old photos? And people are coming to do a double take and say, hey, that's those kids that are trying to make it as a pop group. Like, what? Because uh, this diner's presumably been called that for quite a while, can they now sue the band for taking their name? <laughs> Maybe that's why they mentioned Little Chef, so that they have a backup plan <laughs> And yeah, Chuck is now like the governor of the area, isn't he? Mm. And yeah, if the band do become famous in the world of this show, he's going to be very confused when he sees them on TV. And was that... Because right throughout it, I was looking for Back to the Future references and there was nothing that really came up apart from possibly possibly the mileometer. But is that a reference to Goldie in Back to the Future becoming mayor? That's the only possible mm, tie up with Back to the Future I could I think, think of on it. the um yeah because I've got a feeling that the Wikipedia page for this special says something like oh it references Back to the Future a lot but it doesn't really does it no um, which again is quite odd because that was something you would have seen in that time slot on ITV quite a lot around then <laughs> they decided to reference uh, a very adult film yes. instead <laughs> and Millie Vanilli <laughs> The classic combo. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I will pay good money to see that film. So have you got any kind of last thoughts or are there any notes you've got that we didn't go through? I actually think, I mean, it's a ramshackle programme. It's not as good as it thinks it is. It For something with that many people involved, the cast as well as the writers, it isn't as good as you think. But it's actually really likeable. It's a lot more you can kind of latch onto it in a way that you can't with mm-hmm. a lot of similar things now which uh i mean don't get me wrong you know this was designed by committee at the time it probably went through all kinds of branding and compliance stages and so on but the thing about it feels a bit more human than maybe things even just a couple of years later did because you know for, for better or for worse television changed forever i would say a couple of months later when reality TV started to become... I mean, because reality TV, you know, goes back to the 40s, 50s, really, and there's things like The Family in the 70s and so on. It's when it became big business in 2000 that everything changed. And then, obviously, you know, one of S Club 7 played a major part in the downfall of reality TV. <laughs> but uh, this is just prior to all of that, and it feels like a different age. I can understand why... I would have, at the time, been watching it. You know, obviously there were reasons for that, but why I wouldn't have felt like I was almost pulling my own fingernails out in watching it, like I did with some of the things that I watched. I remember quite enjoying it, and I can see why I did watching it back now. And the other weird thing is, did you notice who one of the producers was in the credits? No, who was it? It was Nigel Lithgow, Nasty Nigel from Popstars, which again was, you know, just about to start and just about to bring reality TV kicking and screaming into Saturday tea time. So that was a weird link as well. Yeah, sort of bridging the gap between these two (laughs) eras, Nigel Lithgow getting involved. Yeah, this is a a fun episode. I think of all the ones I've seen so far, this one is... I think I laughed at a few actual jokes in this, which I know is a low bar, (laughs) but I think that's the first time it's happened potentially in my journey with this show. Like, I did quite enjoy the bit where Hannah was like, 
hanging's too good for him <laughs> just because it was so jarring i'm not sure if that was supposed to be that funny but yeah i thought i thought this was a fun episode overall and as well credit to them for doing something you know it wasn't just a light time travel episode there was it wasn't high stakes but there's something at stake in it yeah definitely and they weren't afraid to uh make it too confusing for the kids like yeah we'll just whip out a paper from the next day why not (laughs) they'll just go with it to be fair i think they did because for a short while people kept on watching the shows and kept on buying the records yeah definitely i'm sure this was huge and yeah being on itv it must have reached perhaps an even wider audience and maybe got a few people to watch the cbbc series who weren't already watching it So before we finish, where can people find you on Twitter? And is there anything that you would like to plug? Right, well, you can find me on Twitter at at outonblue6. It's a long, long story. But if you're interested, you can find my website, timworthington.org, which I think the thing people who've listened to this will be most interested in is I do a podcast called Looks Unfamiliar, which is about things that people remember that no one else ever seems to. And I try to get you know, different interesting guests on it. And, you know, if this sounds right, if it wasn't me doing it, I'd listen to it. So um, I hope you all enjoy it too. Yes, definitely. Everyone should go and listen to that. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S-Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.